been a couple of weeks since we last recorded. We've got lots to talk about here. Trade deadline stuff, lineup stuff, but... First things first, we have to acknowledge our very own Toronto Maple Leafs insider, <laughs> insider Nick Richard. Uh, Nick, the Leafs officially signed uh, another Nick, Nick Abruzzisi, on Saturday. You reported the deal on Friday evening. Take us inside your head for the hours between <laughs> your tweet and the official release that, that made the, the signing uh, official. To say I was sweating it out would be an understatement. Uh, definitely not something I, I've done in the past. I don't really try to throw stuff out there like that, even if I've maybe heard a little something from someone, but I felt pretty confident uh, in this information and I, I ran with it, but it was still a pretty stressful, uh, I don't know, 12 to 18 hours, whatever it was before it was officially announced. Yeah. Um you're an official trade breaker now, or a, uh, an insider, a league insider. You got you got the full <laughs> treatment. The only person that acknowledged that you had it first was the guy within your own network. Welcome to the big show, baby. <laughs> uh, actually, no. Uh, uh, shout out to David Alter, the, who you're referring to there, who who did uh, shout me out for the signing. But also Mikey Stevens at the Hockey News is right, on the right. lead speed as well. So I got to give him some thanks for, for shouting me out there, too. It was pretty funny going through the replies on like Fried, <laughs> Friedman and it's just I kind of like felt bad to be honest with I you. Like, didn't, I loved it personally. <laughs> I get why you would feel like that but it, for me it was hilarious. It, it was weird. I felt bad but I, it was also actually really nice to see like that that many people kind of had my back and were kind of showing me love like that. So yeah, that, that warmed my heart. So thanks to everyone <laughs> who who, uh, who kind of spoke up for me there. Awkward chat if you ever run into Frege in the uh, press box anywhere, maybe a little. Um, let, let's talk lineup because presumably Abruzzese is going to draw in here at some point soon. Um, fourth line has been a real struggle uh, of late. Yeah. Um, Spezza and Simmons are, are, you know, the. I mean, we've talked about their limitations and, and the contributions are very limited right now. Yeah, that fourth line has turned into a real problem, I think. Uh, not only are they not really generating anything offensively they've kind of turned into a net negative unit in recent weeks and actually it's it's been going on a while now i can't remember the last time wayne simmons scored and honestly it's been a while since spezza potted one too i think that you know spezza is still able to kind of generate some stuff when the puck is on his stick uh, but when he's dishing it off to Wayne Simmons right now, it's not really resulting in much uh, of substance. Yeah, and I mean, like I think that's you know the the acquisition of of Blackwell becomes that much more kind of important because whether or not he stays in the fourth line or if he does kind of slot in, I think I've seen some calls to you know try him with with uh, Tavares and Nylander because he's had some some success playing up the lineup in Seattle and he, I think he played with Panarin last year too so I can see trying him out there too but even if it, even if that acquisition doesn't necessarily mean he comes in and helps fourth line it means somebody else slots down and, and potentially does that because you're right like we're, we're they were zero percent expected goals last night I don't think like that, that they were like on was, for a shot attempt yeah, four yeah against the Panthers not even back. a shot attempt four so it, 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 that's tough and I mean, we were just talking about this before we started, but as as sad as it is because of how great of a story it is and continues to be and has been, it's tough to see a spot for Jason Spezza in the lineup right now. Whereas I understand that the first reaction to that is, well, what about Wayne Simmons? But, you know, 
have your opinions on fighting and all that stuff in the game. And I, I get it. I go back and forth on it too, but I still think that at least he has that tool in his toolbox that, you know, toughness, intimidation it's, factor. It's kind a presence, of thing. right? It is. And it's something that, you know, it might be called upon in the playoffs, but maybe that's something that you slot him in. If, if the series starts to look like that, like it doesn't yeah. mean he's in the game one lineup, but yeah, I think, you know, Blackwell plays that kind of tenacious forecheck kind of energy that you want out of a fourth line, I think. Um, so, so, you know, supporting it with with him, maybe like a curve foot that can also kind of get in on the forecheck and, and be kind of a pesty, hard, you know, fast, hard uh, kind of guy to play against. So there's there's room to improve that line, and I just don't see a spot for, for Spezza or even really Simmons. Uh moving forward so get back to abruzzi for a minute nick like what what kind of a game should should we be expecting from him like obviously he's going to be keeping it simple and they're going to you know kind of limit his exposure right but um you know what what are you kind of expecting from him at the nhl level well first i think it's going to be interesting to see where they slot him in to start off i, I expect he's going to get in the lineup sometime this week probably not against boston uh, maybe on thursday but more likely the weekend uh I th- he's a really, really like supremely intelligent player. That's kind of the the hallmark of his game. He's really got good vision in the offensive zone, decent wheels. He works hard. He's not a big guy or anything, but he's got a good work ethic. I think fans are really going to like him. He's a creative offensive player, uh, responsible at both ends of the ice, uh, not a defensive stalwart or anything like that, but just a really solid player. And I think that the the hockey IQ is probably what, will make him more of an effective player playing up the lineup than maybe, you know, on that fourth line, if he's playing alongside a, a player like Simmons and, you know, Spezza in his kind of diminished capacity as of late. Uh, I, I think he should maybe get a look up with Tavares, considering the way that that line has not produced as of late. But Mikheyev in the last couple of games has really kind of taken hold of that role and added some juice to that line. Abrazizi is going to come in, and I think he's going to make an impact wherever they slot him. But they're probably going to get the most out of him if they slot him alongside some more skilled players. It's going to suck losing uh, of this year, or at the end of this year. It doesn't, uh, apart from some 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 major money moving out, I don't really know how. And also the history of him asking yeah. for a trade. I feel like that. I feel like that's probably been quelled a little bit, like the kind of unrest and unhappiness that he had. But I don't see a way to to keep him unless there's some money moving out. And I mean, for his penalty killing prowess speed, and now the ability to finish, somebody's going to pay him a lot more than the least can afford to. Well, look at the difference on that line since he was moved up there and uh, Nylander was bumped down. It's just so much more energy and he's taking some of that forechecking weight off of Tavares. We mentioned it, I think on our last episode, they, that unit needs someone that's going to be the first man in because Tavares doesn't really have the legs to do it. And lately Nylander hasn't had the effort to do it. And he's uh, Tavares has always had that guy with him too. He was in the Islanders too. Like he's, he's never had to do that role. Yeah. That second line has been a, an ongoing concern for months now, right? And like you said, Nylander got get shifted down. The uh, lowest ice time uh, all year was was uh, the Florida game for for Willie. So um, 
I, I mean, I, I still have faith that like he's he's gonna crank it up here at some point. It's it's concerning that it's dragged on this long, but yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta find other solutions. And, and you know, I like what you said about Blackwell maybe getting a getting a look on that that second line too. Like Mikheyev obviously has been great there, but like, do, do you really want to break up that third line? Like, I feel like that's gonna get reunited by the time playoffs roll around, right? Like, it's uh, yeah. it, it's more of trying to find who can who can slot in there, and and um, that's the part that makes it tough for me is that. You got to get him back with Tavares because yeah. he doesn't fit the style of that third line. You're clearly not going to put him on the fourth line. Are you going to load up the first line even more and bring Bunting down? Like that doesn't make any sense. So like he's got to get back with Tavares. It's a matter of finding that fit for them to, to play with, or else it just it it just really doesn't make any sense. Because you're right that that third line has been something that Sheldon Keith has wanted since day one of being with the Leafs, and he's tinkered around with it a few times, and he's kind of finally got it. So for him to break up that line would have made him probably extra pissed off at Nylander apart from his play. But the fact that he had to break up what's probably a line that he loves putting on the ice. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it there. Like that, that line has been really important to the team's success all season long. I can't see Sheldon Keefe going away from that when the games really start to matter. Uh, I think this is mostly a matter of kind of giving Nylander that kick in the ass, trying to wake him up a little bit. Um, just it, it, almost like a reset, it, not exactly like what's gone on with Mrazek, but just kind of shuffling things around, um, making players uncomfortable again. I think that can be a good thing. And hopefully Nylander is able to bounce back. Uh, I think that he's kind of a, a big game guy. He's shown that. Uh, he definitely showed it in last year's playoffs. Uh, but f- for this team to have success, he's going to have to turn his game around and get back to – Something closer to the player that we saw in the first few weeks of the season when he was carrying this team, frankly. So let's talk about the big ad. Uh, we didn't record last week after the trade deadline, but we did do a Twitter spaces for the first time where we kind of gave our like instant reactions to the, the trade deadlines, the moves the Leafs made and didn't make. And that's on our Twitter page if you want to go back and, and give it a listen. It's uh, twitter.com slash lamenting Leafs. Obviously, Toronto goes out and gets Mark Giordano, adds him to the blue line. I mean, this has been a team like I. I've been really happy with like the defensive play overall from from Toronto all season long. Like I, I think that this is one of the best defensive teams in the league. And I, I mean, Keith, maybe come to you on this one. Um, like, what are your thoughts on on early returns from Geo? Because it, I mean, it just looks tight out there when he's when he's on the ice. And I think he's been an awesome addition so far. Well, yeah, and and I mean, he just. Like we we said this all kind of afterwards in the group chat, just like the whole presence thing. Like he just has that, and he's so good. Like I've noticed several times, like just plays with his stick and just super smart position breaking up kind of cycles and stuff like that. Which as which I mean, completely comes as advertised. We've all watched Giordano a lot. We know what he was going to do. The thing that I want to talk about a little bit more is whether it's a a mindset or confidence thing that is instilled when you start to play with a really good partner, or if it you know, really is that that partner making you that much better. And I'm sure it's a combination of the two. Timothy Lilligren looks like a completely different <laughs> yeah. hockey player. Yeah, he's like, com- like he's throwing, like he's physical. He's getting in. Like, he was buzzing around below the hash marks at a couple shifts last game. Like what, he, what Giordano brings himself is awesome. And what he has brought to a guy that I think we all kind of, you know, he's still young and I still am big on Lilligren. Like I, I think he has a, a like a future with the Leafs a homegrown right-handed shot defenseman. Like you don't really want to give up on that, but 
I like he he's gone from being a guy that I don't I would not have wanted in the lineup in the playoffs to I I know it's been two games but to be like pretty comfortable or three games pretty comfortable when with uh, with if the, with the notion of him you know being in the in the the, the first six uh, uh, come come playoff time yeah well credit to Lilligren because he has played really really well in the the last three games but I think that really does speak to the presence that you're talking about with Geo it's just really solidified the entire defensive unit. I feel so safe and comfortable when he, whenever he's out there. It's just the, the poise with the puck, the the poise when the other team has the puck and things start to break down. He doesn't panic. He, he gets his stick in lanes and maintains a solid positioning. And when he has the puck on his stick, I've really liked his patience and kind of waiting out lanes and just allowing things to develop. He's made some really slick, creative passes under pressure. He's just been – I don't think that the acquisition got enough love at the time because he really has been exactly what this team needed. And, and I'm really looking forward to whenever Jake Muzzin gets back and hopefully is closer to the player that we know he can yeah. be because uh, this has the potential to be a, a really outstanding defensive unit heading into the playoffs well, if you, that's what we get. You factor in that – Gio's going to ease some of that burden that Muzzin's had to deal with for his entire time with the Leafs of being, you know, just the go-to shutdown, yeah. you know, calming presence. Now, if, if his, you know, his calories get a little lighter moving forward, that that's just going to make Muzzin that much better, which is, I'm sure is what you're getting at. So like the thing with, with, with Giordano too, is like watching him with the puck. It, it reminds me of like, you know, when there's like a, like a veteran quarterback that's, you know, standing in the pocket and, they kind of have that internal clock of knowing like, yeah, all right, I, I have a play to make here, but if I don't, I can check it down. Like, and, and he, he just never seems to get into trouble when he has the puck, but I've also like, it's not always going to be like a, an incredible first pass creative play. Sometimes it was just, okay, nothing was there and it was the easy play. And I mean, we've watched a lot of young defensemen with the Leafs and then we've also got Morgan Riley who maybe doesn't always do that the best. Like it's just, it's fun to watch him kind of have that, you just wherewithal with the puck to be like, you know, I've got a couple seconds here to make a play. And if I don't, it's just off the glass or it's, you know, an outlet pass or something really quick. And seems like, you know, nothing that you should get that excited about, but we've seen some adventures um, over the years. So it's nice to see, you know, somebody have that kind of presence with the puck. But the Leafs didn't really need a flashy addition, right? This is exactly the kind of player they needed to just solidify that defensive group and I think that he's done that and more I know it's only been three games but if this is the kind of return that they're going to get down the stretch and hopefully into the postseason this looks like an outstanding get by Kyle Dubas I mean you need guys who can kind of speed up the game in the sense that like not necessarily they drive the play or anything like that but um, you know with Gio it's like it's just those those little plays he's so good at at making all the, the right little plays to you know, move the puck a little faster, settle it a little quicker, like you know, make the outlet, make the D to D pass, and make it smooth. Whereas, like maybe in the past, you're kind of like trying to roll with guys who are struggling a little bit or guys who are a little younger, and that decision making just isn't quite there. And it's like it's it's not so obvious on the face, but all it is is you know a D to D pass that gets a little bit bobbled that allows the forecheck to get in a little a little quicker. And, and with Geo, it's just it's up the ice so quick. And I, I yeah, I mean, I feel like puck retrievals has been a strength for the Leafs this season, but um, man. 
they, they were doing such a good job against against Florida's forecheck, I thought, especially early in that game. Um, just, you know, being able to fend it off and, and turn the puck back up the ice so quickly. And yeah, Giordano has, has been just a perfect guy to kind of slot in there in the middle of the lineup and just, you know, it, it's it's um, just kind of the tide that rises all boats, right? Like he, he, yeah. he just kind of takes yeah. takes some of those key minutes away and everyone else is a little more effective when they're out there. He looks like a guy who's played over a thousand NHL games, right? Yeah, I, I, that's right. But he's still got some juice. Like he might not be the player he was a few years ago, but he's still a very very high-end NHL defenseman, uh, or at least he's looked that way so far. Um, I think we should also give a little bit of credit to Justin Hall. I think he's really turned his season around in the last little while. That pairing of him and Brody has has been really solid, I think. Uh, He took a, a heavy hit. Uh, in that game against Florida, getting the puck up ice to, to Mariner for the what ended up being the winner. Uh, he's been a lot better as of late, and I think having him find his game is going to kind of help – gives Keefe some more flexibility when the, the entire defensive core is healthy because you can kind of slot him in with Sandine when he returns and maybe get a look at uh, Giordano and Brody together. Just pr- creates a lot more options for Keefe, and I think that's a good thing heading into the postseason. Well, it's quickly becoming a theme here, and, and you know, knock on wood for any future injuries, but – as the Leafs get healthy here, there's there's just not enough slots for players that they have, like for NHL players, for quality NHL players that they have right now. And we talked about, you know, the the Spezza and Simmons stuff, but Hall's played pretty damn good since, like you just mentioned, especially you know in 2022, and since he's been moved to, uh, you know, the the pairing with with Brody with Brody. But I mean, is he like? You have Sandine coming back. You have Muzzin coming back. Sandine's been pretty good this year. I know we talked about the kind of young mistakes, and that's definitely been apparent in his game at times. But there's also been points where he looks ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, Labushkin's not going anywhere. He was brought in for a reason. He's not coming out of the lineup. And Muzzin, you know, if he's healthy, he's clearly in the lineup. And Justin Hall has kind of, you know, worked his way back into, I think – a month ago or two months ago, we all would have said, no, like, Hall's the guy that's coming out when, when everybody's healthy. I'm curious what that's going to look like. And I think just down the stretch, you get as many kind of looks and combinations as you possibly can to, to find what you're comfortable with. Yeah, definitely. And I think right now you are you might be looking at a situation where one or both of Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligan find themselves on the outside looking in for game one. And I, I don't think that it would be the result of anything that they've really done wrong. It's just it's some more veteran yeah. options and guys who have sort of found their game late in the season, like Hall and with the acquisition of Giordano, it's just, it's not a, it's not a bad problem to have. No. Cause I think like if you, if you right now with the way that the last few games have looked and, you know, knowing what, comfort levels are with stuff like that i guess you got to try the brody and, and giordano thing first to see if like the magic's still there or whatever but on paper and historically that just feels like it should work really well and then if you have riley and labushkin and those two together and then you know muzzin and hall back together but now muzzin and hall are back together with kind of like third pair aspirations or like a you know a 2a 2b thing with geo and brody so it's i don't know it, it just becomes a lot deeper of a defense that you don't really need to like overwork anybody at five on five they should all be pretty damn equal to 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 minutes 
for minutes. Yeah, the, I mean, the depth is there right now, like all through the lineup. Like it's not just hypothetical depth. Like it's it's there's going to be good players sitting out um, come playoff time, and and you know you just you just hope that these guys can keep it rolling. Um, let's talk about another guy who could be here playoff time. Nick, uh, we've been quite excited about Matt Nyes basically since he was drafted. Um, you know, but, but throughout this season, I, I think we've all kind of been in the mind that he's probably a two-year college guy. Uh, that conversation has shifted drastically in recent <laughs> weeks. And at this point, I would be shocked if he isn't signed at the conclusion of his college season. Uh, that has been extended at least through April 7th with Minnesota advancing to the Frozen Four. They'll face Minnesota State in the national semifinal. Um, one way or another, his season's over April 9th, and then there's the decision to be made. So, so let's talk about the on ice first. Um, tell us how we got to this point because he's had some pretty, pretty stellar performances through the first couple of games in, in this playoff. Yeah, well, I actually I wrote a Leafs prospect roundup earlier uh, Monday morning uh, for the Leafs Nation, and uh, I joked on Twitter that it was basically a Matthew Nye's highlight pack because. Uh, he was one of the main reasons that Minnesota was able to advance to the Frozen Four. He was stellar in both games uh, this past weekend, first against UMass and then against Western Michigan. Um, against UMass, uh, the Minutemen were carrying the play against the Gophers in that first game for, for the first little while. And uh, <laughs> Nyes kind of took it upon himself to change the momentum. He got out there running around and laid a couple of big hits and a couple more. And... Uh, Minnesota was able to quickly tie the game up. They kept pushing all game long. And for much of the game, uh, Minnesota's only life was the the line of Matthew Nyes, Ben Myers, and Aaron Huglin. Um, They managed to tie it up late in the game. Another great play by Nyes to glove down a clearing attempt. He scored almost an exact same goal against Michigan in the uh, Big Ten final last week. And it's just on the stick, off the stick, bear down. Like his shot is deadly. He, he's a one touch scorer, uh, but it, there's just so much more to his game that he does away from the puck. And in terms of pressuring on the four check and just creating space in the offensive zone. And he was an absolute force in the second game against Western Michigan. Uh, kind of a scare early on. He went out there and he blocked a shot off the side of his foot and he, he was definitely hobbled going to the bench and he was getting some attention from the trainers there. But of course he came back out on his next shift and gave Minnesota one nothing lead with another great shot from in the slot. And he just kept going from there. He kept up the physical play all game long. He's just a menace out there. As you said, it's getting harder to envision him heading back to college and learning anything or developing beyond the point that he has this season. It's, I know it's a difficult conversation with a player that age who was just drafted in the second round, who's only gone through one year of college hockey. But th- th- this guy, is uh, he's a rare case with his physical maturity and the skill set that he possesses. He's a really exciting player. And if anyone who's been watching the broadcasts of these Minnesota games, it's not just a matter of, of Leafs fan hype. Like These broadcasts have been just gushing over him every night, talking about how exceptional he is, how much of a steal the Leafs managed to get, and just utter disbelief that he fell as far as he did in the draft. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what the decision is whenever Minnesota wraps up their uh, involvement in the Frozen Four here. 
But I think if it's if it's up to the Leafs, they probably want to get him into the system at this point because he just he's starting to look like a pro. I think we've we've talked about this, and and you mentioned I think uh, you know looking into it and stuff too. But like you know for how rare or even non-existent it is for you know guys that are not drafted in the first round to turn pro after their their freshman season but i'd also imagine it, it's pretty rare for freshmen to have be point a game and be running everything over in sight and to be kind of dominating games the way he is too so it all kind of checks out six but, three i mean yeah Cons- like the, consensus the like, first consensus first rounder by pretty much everyone like almost immediately after the draft not even like by well, way through the, the season you know yeah as soon as he was drafted it felt that way like if you didn't even play a game and it was just like oh yeah that that guy should have won the first round is that just like because of the how fucked up that draft was with the fact that there was no like no season before him for a lot of guys well there was a lot of mitigating factors for nice in his draft year he had COVID early on in the season and i think it, it swept through his team pretty good and the entire schedule got kind of got thrown out of whack but down the stretch for Tri-City in his draft year in the USHL, he was an absolute monster. It was, yeah. But I, I, I understand you know, teams not really banking on a, a late climb like that. And especially in a year like that, there was, you know, it, it wasn't the, the same wealth of information that scouts usually have to work on. Um, but yeah, the, the upward trajectory started almost immediately after he was drafted. He went to the World Junior Summer Showcase with the United States, and he was a monster there. Um, immediately upon arriving at Minnesota, he was a big-time player. I, I actually I went back, and I, I was reading my uh, Leafs prospect roundup from after his first weekend at, at Minnesota, where he had scored two goals in his debut. And I said, it looks like he's actually going to figure in as a prominent player as a freshman and i think that's turned out to be a massive understatement because he's he's been almost the the combination of nyes and myers is a big reason that minnesota has found the success that they have yeah uh he's been stellar and he's just continuing to open eyes and and, i mean going to the frozen four uh possibly to the national championship like he's only gonna continue to um you know stoke the hype fires right And, and um, yeah, it's not slowing down anytime soon. No, and, and I mean, I think it's it's kind of just at the point where like, what's the what's the benefit of sending him back? Like, he's just going to dominate. Like, if anything, you you know, even if he's not with the Leafs next year, like, you want to probably throw him in the AHL and see if he struggles in any way because like it's I feel like you know struggling even at the AHL level is is better for your development than than. Um, you know, just completely dominating as a six-three guy who can shoot the puck like an NHLer in, in college already. Uh, I just—he seems like he's got all the hallmarks of a guy who, who's going to be. Uh, I mean, I think it's almost guaranteed he's going to be signed. And like, it—I it, don't want to get too hyped, fellas, but I'm looking forward yeah. to Matt Nyza on the on the ice, possibly in a playoff game for the Leafs. He just has that X factor in he terms has the of like. Man, the guy who who just flies around and, and you know, like you said, Nick scoring big goals for Minnesota. Like you got to ke- temper the expectations, obviously. But um, it, we're talking about a, a hole on the fourth line. Um, man, a guy who's got some scoring pop, a guy who can handle his own in terms of the physicality. Uh, that that would be a dream if if they can get him in there. Well, in the spirit of tempering expectations and talking about the physicality, I, I, I do want to say like expecting a 19 year old kid to come in to the NHL and run around like that in his first pro games. Um, 
if he's going to be taking runs like that at the NHL level, he's going to have to answer for them at some point. I think that is a big ask out of a kid that age, um, especially playing his first pro game. So I might not see the exact same version of Matthew Nyes right at the outset of his NHL career, but you never know with this kid. He's, he's just a gamer, man. I don't, I don't think he's going to be phased by too much, but just to temper that expectation of him coming in and being that physical X factor right away, uh, just because he's been doing that at the college level. And if Jake's listening to this, I know he's going to give me a message later on because he's always grilling me about trying to slow down the, the Matt Nye's hype. But it's just, it, it is a real thing for a kid to be stepping into playing pro games against full grown men to to have that ask of them. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, like from just the, the little bit that I've watched, like it's not even like he's dominating physically. Like he's, I, I'm still seeing him lose some battles against smaller yeah. guys. So like there's, there's some work that needs to be done there, but like he has the, the cannonball attitude. Like if he catches a guy uh, like, you know, unawares, like, or a guy who's kind of just expecting to, to shrug off this rookie, uh, he, like he could be like, you know, you know, the way that like a, a hick can kind of just change the flow in a playoff game, right? Like, like he's he's the kind of guy that can well that. that's what he did in that first game against umass that, that yeah. was all him changing that momentum with just two big hits and the puck was in umass's net seconds later so like he definitely has that potential admittedly haven't watched a lot of his games but he seems you know from what i have seen and from what you have told me he kind of has that like drag you into the fight kind of atmosphere and or energy to him like where he could really inject a lot of energy onto like we said onto a fourth line that lately maybe hasn't had a ton of it yeah definitely i think if you can if matt nyes wants to turn pro you don't think twice about it you get his name on a contract and get him in your system yeah i'm i'm excited for that to hopefully happen like the thing that stands out to me too like obviously all all the physical tools and the shot and everything but like kid has some great instincts man like you know he he obviously needs some like shoring up defensively and whatever but um and there's going to be like the natural adjusting to the pace of the game but like you you watch him out there when the puck is moving around the ice and he is like you watch him in comparison to like some of the other guys on the ice and you can just see where he's got that that second extra uh anticipation and, and he he just has the head for it yeah well he gets himself into those scoring areas both off the rush and even more so off the cycle he's so strong coming off the wall i think that's going to be something that it's not really talked about but minnesota plays on a big ice surface in their home rink and i think that he's going to be a player who's even more effective on the smaller sheet because of his ability to make plays off the wall and things like that there is still going to be a like you said an adjustment period to the pace i think he still kind of gets flustered under pressure from time to time he does kind of overextend himself in battles and kind of lose body control sometimes and end up on his butt but you know he's he looks like a guy who is ready to turn pro bottom line yeah i mean like it's it's telling the way that he's gone from you know second round pick to like the the most coveted uh, you know, asset that the Leafs seemingly had going into the trade deadline. And, and that brings us around to something that we didn't touch on um, on our little Twitter spaces after the deadline. Uh, and I thought we should we should at least talk about it briefly. I don't even think we, we kind of talked too much about it in our in our chat or anything, but um, the, the, the battle of the Kyles, Kyle, <laughs> yeah. Davis, Kyle Davidson, um, the, the, the leak there with, um, it, now, I mean, you could, you could tell why Dubis was upset, right? Cause obviously the Leafs didn't offer that. Like that, that was obviously what 
the Blackhawks wanted. The the leak clearly came from that side. There's no motivation for the Leafs to have that out there. Um, and it was, you know, whatever the package was, Nyes and some picks for Flurry. And there was, uh, Mrazek would have been going, right? For, for Hagel was um, coming back as well. Hagel was part of it. Right. Yeah. Hagel. Hagel was going to be a part of that. So, um, yeah, it doesn't sound like that got very far, but Dubis obviously was appointed comments for Kyle Davidson. Uh, Nick, what was your what was your take on on all of that? A little spicy from from Dubis. I think that it was a culmination of various things that were frustrating Dubis over the the span of those couple days. I think with the the signing of Harry Satari and losing him on waivers before he could even get into the organization, um, maybe at the time they were a little hopeful that. Mrazek might get claimed. Well, I'm sure we'll get to him as well. Um, and then just to have that information get out there and kind of maybe have an impact on the psyche of the goaltenders that he does have, you know, it's the rumor is that he's going out there and looking for a replacement. Um, and I think most of all probably bothered him that maybe Matthew Nyes thought that he was uh, potentially available to be had. Uh, I'm sure that was cleared up rather quickly between Dubas and, and Matthew Nyes and his camp. But I can definitely understand the frustration. Um, I don't know if if you asked uh, Dubas today if he would handle that the same way. I'm not sure if he would, but I didn't necessarily mind seeing the fire out of him. I think he's a lot more competitive than people realize um, uh, and a little bit more old school than people realize as well. So uh, it, it wasn't really a great look for either GM, I don't think, but I, I don't mind Kyle kind of sticking up for what he believes in. Yeah, I'm also, sh- I'm also sure. I mean, like stuff like that gets leaked. Like he's probably, you know, talking to Matt and I's camp about how much, you know, how important he is to the future of the Leafs and how excited they are to, you know, to, to have him as in the fold. And then something like that, it's like, Oh, you're, you're shopping him at the same time. Like I'm sure that that kind of stuff pisses you off too. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah. For a normally very calculated guy, that was a, was, it was an emotional I mean, hey, moment but, for a really calculated guy is what it was. Exactly. But I'll also say that as a, just as a sports fan, like of the storyline side of the house, like I'm, I, the more spicy stuff like that, it's great. It's great to, you know, it just makes it more interesting, you know, and especially for a sport that's very fucking vanilla. Um, it, you know, there was, it was enjoyable as much as I know I'd, Dubas would probably obviously hated it, but from a entertainment standpoint, I liked it. <laughs> I, I would have liked to uh, be there for their introduction at the GM meetings this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was my bias as a Leafs fan. I just thought that Davidson came off like such a clown, um, you know, for for leaking that like seemingly just out of nowhere um, and so transparently, right? Like, and yeah, but it's it's classic fucking use the Toronto media to drive up the price kind of thing, right? Like. Totally. But but like Dubas, you know, he it was it was an emotional thing, but it was also a calculated thing, I think, because like, you know, he, he wants to keep this shit under wraps. Right. Um, yeah. we, you can't have Nick Richards. We talking around this podcast with the guy who, who broke some leases. Um, I think you've got a better track record than Dreger of late, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I thought one it was for one, baby. <laughs> I thought it was, it was really entertaining. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it was an entertaining moment. Um, and yeah, I, I loved it. I, I liked a little bit of fire and yeah, like you said, you know, a little bit of frustration maybe from the way things have been going, but um, no, I, I liked that a lot. Um, and you know, while we're talking about Peter Morazic, uh he's been all right lately. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, the bar was pretty low. It's been... Yeah, this is your textbook, like, baby steps kind of thing, right? Yeah, but I, I thought it was great to see the crowd kind of get behind him in yeah. that game Sunday yeah. night. He was he was really solid against the Panthers, and, and that's one of the better offensive... Or the best offensive team in the league, and one of the best offensive teams that the league has seen in decades. I think they're, they have the highest goals per game since, like, what was it, like the 95-96 Penguins or something? So Do it on the uh, road. I, what? <laughs> road frauds. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> Road frauds. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I said it the, the other day, kind of tongue in cheek, like I, that I wasn't scared of the Panthers or whatever, but like I, I really do think that the Leafs kind of match up well against them. They definitely came to play on Sunday night. Uh, I think it was a really solid performance by the entire team, but Mrazek was a big part of that. Uh, he made the saves that he had to make. I don't think you could really fault him all that much for either one of the goals that beat him. And yeah, the, you can tell that the, the crowd wants to get behind him. The fans want to cheer this guy and want to support him, but they're just so ready for him to start playing well so that can happen. And I think that the the whole waivers thing and the complete mental reset sort of thing that Sheldon Keefe alluded to, it, it's, a, it's a real thing. You know, you kind of get to start over again when things go that way. And I think Mrazek has kind of taken advantage of it in the last couple of games. Yeah, there's nobody in the league that's more due for a regression to the mean than Peter Mrazek. Like, he's not an awful goaltender like i mean he has been (laughs) like he he certainly was for the entirety of this season up until the last few games but i mean body of work like i think that's why like there was lots of reports about got like that there was a legitimate interest in trading for him and legitimate interest in claiming him on waivers because you you i wouldn't want like i wouldn't if i was another team looking at this like i'm sure i would obviously hold their feet to the fire and and try to get like like an extra asset for taking him on or whatever but you would have to like look at the rest of his career and i think he's like a nine like 11 to 9 12 or something maybe and that that might even be with this year factored into it i don't i haven't looked in a while so don't hold me to that but like he's not He's not an 876 goaltender for his career. Like he he's he's been very good in the past, especially when he's healthy. Like if if he's he's had those injury battles and he seems, you know, since he's come back off the beginning of the season that that hasn't crept back into the fold yet, but I mean, he's due for it. He's due for a run of, you know, and like we've said before, this team does not like Cam, you said it earlier, they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And I think we should be talking about that a fucking way more than we do. I think, you know, if you look at all the five on five expected goals against and, and even the like expected goals percentages and stuff, they're in the top, again, haven't looked in the last few weeks, but they're in the top seven for sure. So it's like this team doesn't need to to have Vesna quality goaltending. This team needs 908 goaltending at the most to, to pretty much be in every single game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that, yeah, the, the goaltending has been just firing away the issue. And of course, people are conflating that with the defensive side. But yeah, the, this yeah. Giordano acquisition, if, if anything, should kind of uh, put away that notion. Like this has been a, a just a stellar defensive team all season long. So um, feeling good, fellas. But things are getting uh, pretty tight in the Atlantic Division right now. Um, Leafs lead has kind of petered away here over that wild card spot. They are deadlocked with the Bruins heading into this um, this matchup on on Tuesday evening. Do do we want the hubris uh, of picking our, our preferred playoff opponent, or or how do we want to approach this? Do, do any of us really think that it, it matters all that much? Like I, I, 
I feel like the Leafs match up just as well against Florida or Tampa or Boston as, as they do against anyone else. Like, like the Leafs' biggest thing is going to be overcoming their own demons and making sure that they're firing on all cylinders when it matters most. Like if this team is playing up to their capabilities, they're they have a chance to beat anybody. Yeah. I agree with that. I just really don't want to play Tampa. <laughs> like, I'll take my chances with, with Boston and Florida. Uh, Tampa just frightens me more, more than anybody. And, and I think it's obviously they're, you know, been there, done that kind of thing. Like, but also just the, the goaltending in a playoff series can really kind of be the difference. And, you know, I, 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 there's nobody in the league that I would trust more being, you know, as a, as a, on my team more than, than Vasilevsky in the playoffs. So that, that's the thing that scares me the most. And then looking at, you know, Bobrovsky has been good this year, but like looking at the, uh, the, the other options in the other two teams that, that you could, you could match up against again, guys that have been pretty good this year. Bobrovsky, I think has petered off a little bit as of late, but in Swayman, you know, being a, a rookie or, you know, a young player in the league, I'd, I'd take my chances, I guess, on, on those two. And, uh, uh, you know, in a seven game series that with the way the little, you know, the least firepower that, that that's just a better matchup than, than Tampa. But again, like you said, they can beat any team in the Eastern conference right now. They just need to kind of get over that mental hump. It feels like, and also, you know, we're talking about like fourth line construction and, and, you know, bottom pair construction and stuff like that. And it's, this this the series is going to win or or you know series is going to hinge on the big guys and goal a hundred percent thirty four and sixteen are going to be the reason why they win or lose you know unfortunately or fortunately <laughs> I'm talking like they're hard <laughs> but yeah some so scare that's tissue be the there hey, that this happens. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I mean I think um, like I generally agree with you you know this this is a year where the Leafs basically need to win around and if you run into the the bolts in the first round that would just fucking suck but okay um, well on that note cam what happens if it is the bolts that you run into and say the series is uh tightly contested hard fought the leafs play their asses off and play solid the entire way and it comes down to a game seven that they lose by a goal or lose in overtime do you think like i know it's another first round exit and the optics of that are horrific but You've got to take into account that you're up against the, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions and a team that very well could go all the way and win it again. I th- I get that there will be a thirst for blood and you know obvious appetite for change, but it's just a it'd be a case of almost being too reactionary to. Uh, in my opinion, that would be like, uh, an overreaction if that's how it does. Oh, I think it's an overreaction, no matter which way you slice it. I, th- I think that yeah. there's no way Dubas should lose his job uh, for this or, or Shanny. Like, I mean, this is a team that's been consistently at the top of the league. Like we said, they've come from being just a a, a complete poverty defensive team to one of the top ones in the league like I, but that's unfortunately the reality right now is it seems like you know anything short of a, a round or two and and but I, I mean i hope that that's not it i don't want to feed into that certainly but i i just i looking at it from a fan perspective i can't fucking go another year without a round win no, man absolutely. i need no, a yeah. round win even yeah. if it's just one and like i i like I think I like the Leafs' chances better against the Panthers. I would relish the chance to play the Bruins and, and you know, uh, slay that dragon. But Yeah, okay, let um, me change my answer. I want the fucking Bruins. Give me those assholes. <laughs> that's my answer. That's 100% my – I've been – I've said this to a few people. That's – what better way to get over the hump and win your first round and fucking however long – 
than the team that has been like nightmare fuel for this fan base for you know since since that game seven like it's there is no better way to to, to get it (laughs) the like capital t the game seven i remember all too well (laughs) yeah i think that's my path get the bolts to slip back into the wild card you know the bruins come up leafs get home ice maybe leafs for the two seed in the atlantic and then you got florida in the second round maybe you you avoid the bolts entirely because like the leafs are that's the the thing if you know it swings the other way and the leafs slip into the wild card then you're flirting with maybe carolina in the first round i don't like that either the thing about that is the leafs fate is largely in their own hands down the stretch here i think they've got two more against florida I be- do they have one or two more against Tampa and they have two against Boston starting on Tuesday game. night. So yeah. I, they have a chance to really make up some ground. They've got to show their best against these difficult opponents. And, and these points really matter in terms of seeding and, and potentially grabbing home ice heading into round one. Yeah. Like you said, big games coming up Boston Tuesday. Um, got a game with very few stakes in terms of the, the playoffs because the Winnipeg Jets are Thursday and they are dog piss this season. Um, it's been a little while since the Leafs have, have really slapped a team around. You know, they beat Dallas, I guess, 4 nothing. But in terms of just like really loading the goals on, would love for that to come against the Jets on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> would love it. Um, yeah, I think it's safe to say that that's probably not going to be the game that Wayne Simmons gets scratched for as well. <laughs> I hope he beats the fucking shit out of Stanley. I mean, it's been it's been a while since a good Wayne beatdown. Well, the, I want to kind of talk about that for a second. I just see a lot of people kind of criticizing Simmons for not, you know, doing as much of that. Like, I don't think that there's very many guys that want to fight Wayne Simmons. First of all, like, yeah. do you see the way he handles himself? I think uh, most guys around the league know that that's not a very good idea. And I guess it, it is kind of a result of his poor play he's not really getting as many minutes and the opportunities to impact the game that way but i think that is a large part of what people are kind of upset with and not seeing so much of that out of simmons is there's just not so many guys willing to engage with him like that that's a good point there's a handful of guys in the league so that 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 would that would kind of knock on that door and and so i mean you're you're not playing you know somebody like that every single night and whether or not it's the you know like a big hit or that the you know the least are kind of getting pushed around physically or whatever that doesn't mean that he automatically can just go out there and, and pick a fight like he kind of needs a willing willing combatant and he probably knows that too like there's only a handful of guys in the league that'll that'll actually go with him yeah i mean when you're when you're to the point where you got to pick fights with six foot seven guys yeah you and the guys still wouldn't go yeah the number of yeah. uh, opponents is obviously limited um yeah i would love to beat up on the jets for sure um mark shifley just taking that clown show act to new heights this season um yeah these guys like I, i'm glad it's over i'll just say that like the window has been closed for like three years let's let's be clear on that but like it appears that time is actually finally running out on a core of guys that like make up quite possibly the worst dressing room in the modern era that that has managed to go like a more than a few seasons without being broken up right like all the all the stories about those guys just being like doughhead bullies um it's couldn't happen to a, a a bunch of nicer guys and now that now that the canadian media has officially abandoned winnipeg as best team in canada it's time to move right on to the flames baby <laughs> yeah the flames are actually good though. well that's but yeah i know but that, that's it's let's let's skip right over that other team that's that's uh, kind of been in the hunt for the last few years and it's right to number oh, three yeah, number no, three is now number one 
It's the Daryl Sutter Calgary Flames, man. It writes itself. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on who. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how things go over these next couple of games. But like you said, time to time to start banking some of these points. And, and yeah, this uh, really could go any way in terms of the playoff seating right now. It's it's gotten incredibly tight. So um, should be interesting. All right, we're going to uh, wrap it up there for the Leafs talk. Thank you all for joining us. If you're new, uh, you know, we're trying to listen to the podcast of the newest uh, NHL insider. Welcome. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed. Um, and now I would like to talk briefly about uh, the Oscars. They were on Sunday night. <laughs> Every, everyone is buzzing about one thing. The Academy Awards honored a, a story of an incredible athletic achievement by a black woman. Uh, and, and of course, I'm talking about the fact that uh, Nova Scotia director Ben Proudfoot won the best documentary right. short for the documentary The Queen of Basketball about Lucy Harris. Uh, this is obviously what everyone is talking about today <laughs> with regards to the Oscars. So um, we, we just wanted to, to give a tip of the cap to a, a Blue Nose director making it big. I watched the documentary today. Actually, it's like 22 minutes. It's on YouTube. Uh, really, really good. Really interesting. Um, you know, talking about like just one of the most dominant uh, women's players in college. And then, of course, um, you know, ha- had no pro league to go to. This is long before the days of the WNBA. So uh, really, really interesting. And she kind of like narrates the whole thing herself. She, she since passed away. Um, but it, it was just a, a really nice thing. And I would imagine especially like for the family, right? Like she just passed away in January and, and, you know, didn't get to see uh, the, the film get nominated, obviously, but, um, you know, pretty cool. I would think for, for the family to kind of get to see, um, you know, w- what she was like in, in action back in the day. And, and it's really cool. Lots of old footage and just kind of her narrating her story. So it was pretty neat. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Steph Curry, executive producers on the project as well. Interesting. I heard speaking of, you know, uh, basketball films and winning awards, I, I heard on uh, another popular radio show this morning that LeBron James earned himself some golden raspberry awards that are annually handed out for the, the worst the Razzies, films of the year. Right? The for Razzies, Space Jam yes. too, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think he got like worst performance um, and, and was nominated for worst picture, but just missed out on that one as well. So banner weekend all around. I don't think I'd like to contribute to the take industrial complex on the Will Smith, Chris Rock stuff, but I I, I feel like it can't go unacknowledged. Um, Just personally speaking, like Keith, you were you were in the same boat, right? You were kind of I don't know if you were watching it live, but you certainly saw the uproar on Twitter, right? I saw just the tweets start coming in. Like, was that real? Was that a work or a shoot? Like, there was all these, like, I was just like, what the fuck are they talking? So eventually, like, everybody found the video on uh on twitter but it, like the memes and the you know and the and the kind of edits and stuff have, have all been awesome but i just recently like right before this podcast saw one that kind of takes the cake for me I, I don't know if anybody's seen it yet or not but it's basically it's the uh mo on the mo sizzlack on the fan thing when he swoops homer out of the ring and uh, fighting <laughs> fighting dredrick tatum and he, so it's him carry it's him carrying chris rock uh, out of uh, like with will smith like full slap it's the best it's by far the best one i've seen so far but yeah it's been one of the better twitter content 
48 or 24 hours that uh, that I can remember. How quickly do you think the first meme was created and posted after that took place? Oh, it just it was a mad scramble. Nine mad seconds. scramble. It was it was the craziest <laughs> yeah, was... night on Twitter since Trump got COVID by far. <laughs> it was not, like, wild. I went to bed earlier last night than I normally would. I didn't even know the Oscars were happening and I wouldn't have I probably still wouldn't have known they happened if it wasn't for this incident. But uh, initially when I first saw it, I thought that the joke that Chris Rock made was about another thing. Um, and uh, that's why I kind of understood Will Smith's reaction, but I don't think it, it was necessarily a great look for him in, in the end there. Uh but yeah, definitely uh, quite the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, quite a thing. Quite a thing to experience. My uh, my girlfriend had a flight at, at like early in the morning, and, and like I I stayed up until she woke up for her flight at like three a.m. So I could be like Will Smith hit Chris Rock at the Oscars. You know? <laughs> and it turned out that she she woke up and I was waiting for her to come out of bed and she had already seen it on her phone like in the in the two minutes of scrolling she had before she got up. <laughs> it was already, it was just, it was on, uh, impossible to avoid. I watched the John Boy video oh, breakdown of it today <laughs> and uh, he made a really good point and I never, like I, there was something about the slap that was weird to me. And then I watched him and he said it, he was like, this looked like something that he has like learned on a movie set for like how to properly sell. Like, cause his like whole fucking body was into it. Like that didn't look like a normal slap to the face. Like it was just a really like, I thought he punched emphatic. him. I thought it was a punch too. Like I fully thought it was a, of like all a people, closed fist punches. But it, man, that was a, that was a very animated, like full body rotation like slap like he got a lot behind that and full marks to chris rock for not even so much as like rubbing his face oh he like he he jose bautista did that yeah. punch very well <laughs> nice yeah, that was, that, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah that was a baller move for sure just uh avoid the urge can't you just can't concede it, anything yet uh, <laughs> yeah. the um no that's it's it's going to be weeks weeks maybe months of fodder for the, the <laughs> hackiest people on the internet uh looking forward to to what comes of it i'm more referring to you know writers than meme makers of course um <laughs> all right that that's going to do it for us um we'll be back soon maybe we'll do another twitter spaces soon we'll see matthew nice city baby choo choo